and welcome to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, where our big sisters travel back in time to teach us not to hit them with toy trains. I'm your host, Austin here, and with me I have Tori. Hello. How's it going? It's going. Good. It's just you and me today. Yep. Uh, do you take solace in this, or are you sad that no one else is here? Um, I'm stuck with you, but I guess it's fine. You sound a little little bit uh, ambivalent about that, but I guess I can forgive you. <laughs> it's okay. Alright, well, you know, since it's just me and Tori here, we're probably reviewing something that we went to see in the theater, because that's typically yes. how that works out. Alright, so, and in this episode, we will be reviewing Mamoru Hosoda's latest film, Mirai, or Mirai of the Future, or Mirai no Mirai, which I'm glad that they didn't call it that, because the American audiences would just be like, what? Mm-hmm. That's that's the title when she's, you know, in one frame as a middle schooler, but mm-hmm. not as a baby. Mirai, no Mirai. <laughs> that was that's really hilarious. <laughs> no, that's that's <laughs> Oh my gosh. The, the, I'm, me. I'm I'm supposed to do the bad jokes, not you. <laughs> it's me spending too much time with you. <laughs> Oh, thank goodness. Finally, yeah. you've, you, you've learned a valuable skill that you can put onto resumes. I also make bad jokes. If you're listening to this podcast, please help. <laughs> they can't hear you because I'll edit that bit out. Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm, I might leave it in. Let's okay. see. We'll see if your cry for help actually falls on, uh, falls on listening ears. Rather I'm than... blinking twice because I'm in danger. <laughs> <laughs> we're not on YouTube yet mm. because I don't, we're, not, we're not shouty enough for YouTube. That's fair. Mm-hmm. But anyway, um, we're going to kind of just jump right into this thing, because this is going to be more of a shorter review, just because we're talking about this one movie. Um, but as a general note, just wanted to remind everybody where you can engage with the Third Impact Anime Podcast on the internet. Uh, you can find us pretty easily over on Facebook, over at uh, facebook.com slash thirdimpactanime. Um, and through that link, you can also find our Facebook community group, um, which we use pretty much every day to have wonderful anime and video game related discourse. It's a pretty fun little place to, uh, to gather. And if you want to follow us over on Twitter, which is where we probably update the most frequently, it's over at twitter.com slash ti underscore anime. And our website is thirdimpactanime.wordpress.com, where personally I just put up a anime review of a series that I just watched. I just finished up After the Rain, which I was very, um, very pleasantly surprised with. I expected it to be not quite as wholesome as it was, but it um, really surprised me in how genuine and excellent it was. I think, I think you would really like it, Tori. I know that mm-hmm. whenever you saw the initial premise, you sort of felt like I did and thought, yeah, mm, I'm a little bit scared of this. It's and like, you would, yeah, you would be right. And uh, mm-hmm. that's definitely valid. But uh, I ended up finding it very, very charming. And it, it doesn't go in the places that you would expect. So that's, mm-hmm. whew, dodged yeah. a bullet. That's kind of how I'm hoping for a uh, bloom into you to go. Mm-hmm. I, I've heard generally good things about Bloom Into You. It, it hasn't been, 
it hasn't been one of those things that I've seen a lot of people talk about, but uh-huh. whenever it has been discussed, it's been positive. Good, good, good. Good indeed. All right, well, let's just go ahead and jump right into this movie with a little bit of production notes on it. Uh, so Mirai is directed and written by Mamoru Hosoda, which probably everyone, if you're an anime fan uh, within the last couple of years, you've probably heard his name before and you've probably seen more than likely all of his movies. Um, but if you haven't, uh, he is the director of The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, Wolf Children, Summer Wars, and The Boy and the Beast. I uh, figured we might as well give a little bit of background on him since um, since we've never actually talked about any of his stuff um, on this podcast before uh we just haven't made it around to it but better better now than never i guess anyway um so he started out as a key animator in the 1980s uh mainly working for toei uh during the 90s and the 2000s uh he he worked on series like dragon ball z sailor moon digimon probably most most specifically um then he worked for Studio Madhouse for a while where he directed The Girl Who Leapt Through Time in 2006 and Summer Wars in 2009 both with Madhouse. Both of those films won multiple Japanese animation awards and a few international awards as well. Uh in 2011 he spun off into his own studio, Studio Chizu. No, not Studio Cheese even though that sounds like a wonderful place to be. Yes. <laughs> he then directed uh Wolf Children and The Boy and the Beast and now Mirai. Mhm. Uh, so the production staff on Mirai is pretty much identical to Hosoda's previous films, except this time, for who knows why reason, uh, Yoshiyuki Sadamoto did not return as the character designer. Uh, he had been the character designer on all of Hosoda's previous films, um, and Sadamoto is notable to both you and I because he is um, the character designer for Evangelion, is probably his claim to fame. But, uh, you know, I didn't even notice that until you happened to point it out, but then... Thinking back on it, I guess, yeah, that doesn't really, didn't really look like his art at all. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, not so much, like, especially in the, um, because typically what Hosoda movies have done in the past is that they will have a Sadamoto drawing as, like, the poster. Mm-hmm. Um, but on this movie, it, it was sort of the same art style that you would see in the actual, like, uh, movie itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the guy that was the character designer, I didn't write his name down, but he had worked as a character, um, animator on all of his other movies. So that's why it, it looks Sadamoto-ish, but it's mm-hmm. still not quite as distinct as his other, other things. Gotcha. Especially, especially in the eyes. Like, Sadamoto has a very unique way to draw eyes. Yes. It's very minimalist, but you can easily recognize it, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so the animation supervision for this film was done by Hiroyuki Aoyama and Ayako Hata, who are actually a married couple, even though they have different last names. Um, so Hosoda said in an interview that he that um, the two of them brought elements of themselves and their married dynamic into the animation of the film, and that he really enjoyed the novelty of having a married couple be the supervising animators, because Aww. that's such a rare thing. Yeah, that's I, awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so unique, um, mm-hmm. especially since this is a movie about, like, a married couple and their sort of life together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure they brought a lot of, you know, what they see themselves doing in their ordinary life um, to the depictions of the couple in this movie, too. Yeah, and that definitely, I feel, I know I'll talk about it a little bit more later, but that definitely brings a sense of naturality to it instead mm-hmm. of... Um, making it feel so 
ah, yes, this is a married couple, but when you have people living those experiences overseeing and writing and things like that, that particular scenario, it definitely feels more real. Absolutely, yeah. And since this is a movie so much about capturing, like, the, well, it's a very fantastical film, but it's, it's also about sort of the mundane aspects of, like, raising children. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that his decision to bring them on is a very good one because it, it adds that, um, that genuine quality, like you said. Mm -hmm. So could you do me the honors and read out the voice cast for the film? Certainly. Um, the main, one of the main characters, Kun, uh, the little boy, is voiced by Mocha Kamishiraishi, um, who is actually the younger sister of Monet, uh, Kamishiraishi, I probably totally mispronounced that wrong, incorrectly, but, um... You pronounced she, it better than I did, <laughs> or would have, rather. Yeah, she is the voice actress who played Mitsuha in Your Name. Um, and this is the little sister's first debut role in anime. Um, in the English version, uh, Kun is voiced by Jaden Waldman, Waldman, who is eight years old and a relative newcomer to voice acting. Um, he also plays the male lead in the PBS kids show Pinkalicious and Pewterific, which I'm pretty sure are based on, like, kids' picture books. Yeah, it's, it's some, yeah, it's based on a picture book, I think. Okay. Um... Mirai herself is voiced by Haru Kuroki, um, who was Yuki in Wolf Children, uh, young Ichiro Hiko in The Boy and the Beast, uh, has won over a dozen acting awards for her work in live action TV and film, and the English version uh, by Victoria Grace. This is her first role in anime, but she's appeared in 47 Ronin with Keanu Reeves, Comedy Bang Bang, the School of Rock TV series, and will be in The Last of Us Part 2. Uh, the father is voiced by good old boy Gen Hoshino, <laughs> uh, who is a popular Japanese singer-songwriter. You might have heard him in The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, because uh, he was senpai. And he also voiced Buddha in Saint Young Men. Uh, in English, John Cho, uh, who was from Harold, or excuse me, who was in Harold and Kumar as Harold. Uh, Sulu in the Star Trek movies, and he also appears in How I Met Your Mother, Bojack Horseman, and Drunk History. That's a very interesting choice. <laughs> yeah, if you're somebody that's familiar with American pop culture, you know who John Cho is, even yeah. if you don't know his name. Man, that's wild. Yeah, he's been um, a lot of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, the mother is voiced by Kumiko Aso. Uh, she's most, mostly a live-action voice actress, or excuse me, not a voice actress. You don't, you don't do voice work in live action she's, most. She's also a body actress. <laughs> um, she's most notably a live action actress, but she has appeared in parts, uh, bit parts in Wolf Children, Miss Hokusai, Colorful, and The Boy and the Beast. In English, you'll find Rebecca Hall uh, playing the mother. She's a British stage and screen actress who was in Christopher Nolan's The Prestige, Ron Howard's Frost Nixon, Iron Man 3, Disney's The BFG, and we'll be in Godzilla vs. King Kong in 2020. I just feel like I'm doing an advertisement. <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, the quote-unquote mysterious man, or quote-unquote the prince, is voiced by Mitsuo Yoshihara. Um, apparently whose only other credit that was findable was the voice of Gaston in the Japanese live-action Beauty and the Beast. He did the dub voice. And in English is Crispin Freeman, 
uh, who you might know as Alucard in Helsing, Shizuo in Dravara, Kion in Haruhi Suzumiya, and apparently Winston in Overwatch, I had no idea. He's also Will Turner in Kingdom Hearts, and he will be coming back to play Will Turner in Kingdom Hearts 3, which is exciting. Yeah, I love Crispin Freeman. Me too. If you've if you're an anime fan and you've watched an English dub, you've probably heard He's, of Crispin Freeman. Yeah. <laughs> he is uh, very popular. All right. So, would you also tell us generally what this movie is about? Yeah, this is shaming me for not wanting to write the synopsis, isn't it? <laughs> um, only a lot. <laughs> anyway, so the story follows a young couple and their son Kun, who's around five years old. Uh, their quiet life together is quickly interrupted when a new baby is added to the household, Mirai. Kun is entranced with Mirai, but quickly learns that a new baby is a lot of work and his parents aren't giving him the attention he used to have all to himself. After reaching his boiling point, Kun constantly gets into fights with his parents and eventually tries to run away from home. Through a series of dreams and visions, Kun encounters his past family members and other fantastical characters who teach him life lessons that help him process the complex emotions he's dealing with and having to grow up and adjust to his new life. I dabbed, but you couldn't see it. I could see it. I I knew that you would do that. Okay. So, uh, one thing that uh, Hosoda was really quick to note in the uh, short interview presented after the film screening is that the movie is very heavily based on his own experiences observing his children. So, the idea that Mirai, the little sister, coming back in time to visit a... coming back in time to visit her big brother and he's still a child was based on a dream that Hosoda's son told him about where his where he had a vision of his grown-up little sister in a middle school uniform coming back in time and telling him that he had to do something or something yeah. weird like that. But she was uh, numerically older, not a giant baby. Correct. He, he made he sure was... to specify that. <laughs> exactly, because I'm sure that, you know, because Hosoda is a big anime nerd, I'm sure that as soon as his son told him that, he was like, what? Spirited away? What? Because, <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, Hosoda is he wears his anime fandom on his sleeve. He's got a he's got a lot of things that influence him in that. Um he even said uh that uh one of the first things that got him interested in becoming an anime director was watching Lupin the Third, the Castle of Cagliostro, and I'm just like, You got good taste, man. Good taste. <laughs> we just reviewed that and that was fun. Mm-hmm. So, um and a lot of the anxieties that Kuhn presents in the film are sort of based on Hosoda's son's own experiences that he observed. Um, so like him, you know, getting jealous that his little sister is hogging the parents' attention and the fact that like he can't play rough and tumble with his little sister like he could with his parents or other kids his age or something like that. And just not understanding that babies are different mm -hmm. and him not understanding that he is no longer like their, his parents' sole responsibility anymore. Yeah. And that he also has a responsibility to make sure that he takes care of the little sister, too. Mm -hmm. So, Tori, generally speaking, what yeah. did you think of the movie? Um, I really liked it. Um, and I thought it was interesting that we both went in. Like, you said you had only heard mm, things about it. And all the, like, stuff I had heard or read about it seemed to generally praise it. Um, so I was, I was kind of scared going through, <laughs> but, um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a sweet movie and, um, it had a lot to say, I think, and that came across very well. 
So a lot of the criticisms that I heard going into it were from like folks that generally have an issue with Hosoda's films in general. And I guess personally, I don't really have much of a much above beef with him as some other folks do because I've generally enjoyed all of his movies. I mean, obviously I like some of them more than others and we can get into our our uh, juicy rankings later <laughs> on because <laughs> I know everybody wants to hear that. Um but yeah, like I, that's that's generally where I was where I was coming from, and it, it seems that people that are generally inclined to like Hosoda's work enjoyed this movie, and people that are generally inclined to not really be such a big fan of him didn't really like it. So I guess it's more of a uh, like, and this is sort of a rigid way of putting it. I don't mean it to be so definitive because it isn't, but. It's like, if you enjoyed his other stuff and really like it, you will probably also really like Mirai. Yeah, I can I can see that. Because I think it 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 um, pulls from some of the same cloth as something like Wolf Children, because it's got some similar themes. Mm-hmm. Except, like, Wolf Children is much more so from the, the parental figure's point of view, because it really is about Hana's struggle in raising her kids, whereas this movie is very strictly from Kuhn's point of view. Mm-hmm. Like you get the parents' perspective on it, but generally the story is about him learning to sort of cope with the new situation that he's been put into, and learning right. to learning to grow up in the ways that a five-year-old needs to learn how to grow up. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not like he it's not like he's going through puberty or anything, but I mean, he's going into a new phase of his life as a as no longer the only child. He now has a collection of responsibilities and a collection of expectations put upon him by the fact that he is now the older sibling in a house that used to just have one kid, and that one kid used to be him. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that was illustrated in a really humorous way whenever he uh, whenever he talks to their dog. That sounds weird to say out of context, but this, <laughs> does, <laughs> this movie does have like a fantastical element to it, and we'll definitely get into that too. Um, but he has a conversation with the family dog, and the dog's basically like, I used to be the center of everybody's attention, and then you came along. You yep. took that all away from me. <laughs> and then Kuhn was just like, well, you could tell that he is. He realizes that like, oh, that's happening to me too. Like mm-hmm. I also feel bad that I am no longer the center of attention. So I hate my sister because she takes my parents away from me, and in that sort of like five-year-old understanding of the world. So speaking of fantastical elements, what did you think about that being in the film, considering it was kind of, uh, well, I mean, we've seen it in his other movies where it's like a, a mix of uh, kind of fantastical, but rooted in reality as well. But um, what did, how did you think that affected the movie overall? Did that add anything? Do you think it would have been better had that not been there? Or So I thought that the sort of the whole time travel thing where he encounters like his big sister from a different point in time and he visits or he isn't he has encounters with his other family members like his grandmother and his great-grandfather and his mother um, in sort of very fantastical ways and and in and through visions and experiences that are much more fantastical more like nightmarish I thought that they were a really good sort of extended metaphor to convey the sort of ideas that he was going through, Mm -hmm. um, to sort of see it put through a child's perspective in the way that they're going to 
imagine some imagine things that adults would see as ordinary or sort of standard as much more fantastical, much more frightening, and much more exciting than we tend to think about it in our normal ways that we process things as adults. Um, so as a metaphorical tool, I thought that they were very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, like, especially the scene where he gets lost in the train station um, and how and how scary and overwhelming that was for him. Yeah. E even though, like, for adults, we would be we would sort of have the tools and the uh, ability to sort of get ourselves out of that situation with relative ease, perhaps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But him being a child, having to navigate this massive train station, like all on his own and not having anyone there and sort of being sort of encountering these strange uh, people that are trying to help him, but don't really know how, because he doesn't know, because he doesn't have the tools to help himself is right. it's really scary stuff. And it really helps to, sort of convey to an adult audience what this child might be feeling um if that makes sense yeah and i think too it shows very i think you kind of said this too it shows a very like kind of true perspective of how kids view things because mm -hmm. um, it's like you know for example you know, when I was five, if my parents told me, oh, it's going to take 30 minutes to get somewhere, I'm like, okay, we're in this car for 20 years now. But, like, as an adult, I can be like, okay, well, 30 minutes, I can get through this album, or I can listen to almost all of this podcast or something like that. And mm -hmm. um, seeing kind of how, you know, kids deal with, I guess, abstract concepts. Is that the word mm -hmm. I'm looking for? I don't know. Mm -hmm. And these, like, really, like, fantastical uh sort of ways where it's like um oh i'm i'm mad at my parents for having a baby i bet the dog feels that way too huh and you know <laughs> so <laughs> yeah and that 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 was uh that was a really interesting way to put that because it's like well yeah the if if your pet could talk mm -hmm. that's probably what they would say oh, if you absolutely. had a baby <laughs> Because it's just like, well, why aren't you paying attention? Paying as why don't you pet me more like you why used to? Why don't you feed me gourmet dog food anymore, huh? Right. <laughs> so I think that is one thing that the movie, I guess, in its advertisement, sort of like hammers home. But it's not really about that. Mm -hmm. It's um because I think the the advertising sort of hypes up the fact that like, oh, his big sister has come or his little sister has come back to visit him for some grand adventure and it's like mm -hmm. well it's it's sort of about that but it's but really, really more it's really more portrayed as in like he's having these like dreams or daydreams or visions that ended up end up like teaching him lessons or something mm -hmm. like it felt it felt a lot like it's basically a christmas carol yeah in, in a way <laughs> no in a way that's a pretty good way to put it um mm -hmm. he um it's it general like the 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 film structure in general sort of follows like maybe a, f a a year or so of their life or probably not even a year maybe a couple of months because Mirai doesn't really grow that old as a baby mm -hmm. i'd say it's probably about i'd say it's a little under a year because eventually you start to see her like sitting up and she's becoming more like uh, sentient and she can crawl and yes. um so some some time has passed I passed I mm -hmm. would say probably a little a little about almost a year. Right. And um 
so that that's what the main story goes through. Like it's very much like a day in the life, slice of life sort of thing, sort of interrupted by these interstitial moments where Kuhn has fantastical visions or like travels to different time periods to encounter um, different people and things that help him learn a specific lesson about whatever it is that he's dealing with at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, And, like, for example, the whole him getting lost in the train station thing stems from him having a very sort of obsessive uh, fascination with trains. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's something that in his little kid mind would um, sort of stand out because that's something that he thinks a lot about. He thinks about trains. So, of course, that would sort of, like, invade his dreams and his daydreams and stuff like that. And then setting that up and then using the trains as a vision to... Uh, talk about his anxiety, his separation anxieties from his parents, and like because the whole train sequence comes about whenever he thinks that his parents have left the house without him, and yes. then and then the vision sort of begins, and he's on this mysterious train, and he gets to the to to this like sort of maze like version of Tokyo Station, and having been to Tokyo Station, it's really not that bad, <laughs> but it's <laughs> like. But, like, for a five-year-old, it would be pretty terrifying. Yeah. Um, but, like, that that whole exercise was, like, him working out in his mind, like, well, what would happen if I ever really did get separated from my parents? I don't know that I would be able to deal with that because yeah. I don't even know my mom and dad's name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I was, like, I was just thinking about that during that scene, and I was, like, hmm, what age was I when I, like conscientiously like acknowledged my parents had names like when, right. when, when did i know that <laughs> and right to just to provide a little bit of context if you haven't seen the movie so he gets to basically like the lost and found area of the train station and like the very creepy um like desk attendant robot dude asks him like okay so you're lost what's your mom's name and he's just like i don't know mom okay <laughs> mom yeah so, and then he's like, okay, so what's your dad's name? Dad? Uh, dad? <laughs> and then it's just like, we don't have enough information. It's like, do you have any other family members? And then he gives them the dog's name. <laughs> and then they're just like, sorry, we don't, ex- we don't accept pet names. Yeah. Pets aren't family members. And I'm like, okay, hold on now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, and that kind of made me wonder, and I wanted to look up look it up i'm just like so is it not really expected so much in japan for kids to know their parents real names until later on in their life or something i don't know because mm-hmm. i had the same question too i was thinking about it myself i'm just like did i always know that my mom and dad were named their actual names or did i did i have to learn that later on i don't yeah i don't know i don't remember <laughs> i don't remember either but anyway that was a fun thing to explore and and i think I think Hosoda brought a lot of a lot of insight and wisdom through his own personal experiences with his kids to really make to really make Kuhn a very very believable child. Yeah. Um, like I haven't spent much time around any five year olds, but like I don't know what 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 was your insight on the the realism for uh for Kuhn as a as a kid. Um. Well, I as someone who's you, the oldest. Huh? Yeah, I was about to say because you had a little sister much more recently than I had a little brother. <laughs> yeah, as as the oldest of three, 
um, I was sentient enough to remember most of their, like, growing up. <laughs> mm -hmm. And, um, oh, man, I just, oof. Um, yeah, it, it is pretty much like that every day. <laughs> So did did your little sister try and thwack you with a train? Funny story. Or did um, you try and thwack them with the train? No, actually, because I was very when when I found out both times that I was getting siblings, I was just like, mm, okay, <laughs> I didn't care one way or another. Um, and you know, I'm sure there's a multitude of reasons for that um, that I'm not really gonna get into. But um, I was just kind of like, okay, cool. Um, and then you know, when they arrived, I was like, <gasps> babies. But um. Funny story, and my sister is actually here at the house, but I know full well she would not come here and tell this or even admit to it, but um, when I was probably, let's see, how old would she have been? Uh, she probably had to have been four or five, so this was like 2004, 2005. I was sitting in the living room watching TV with my back to the, we had like a big, in our old house, we had like a big open living room, um, mm -hmm. and then the kitchen was off to the side, and I was just sitting in front of the TV, back turned, and she came up behind me and thwacked me in the head with a Nintendo 64 controller. Amazing. Because she wanted to be the only child. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so my sister tried to murder me when I, when she was five or four, somewhere between there, um, and <laughs> that's, that's about it. My youngest sister, she never did anything crazy, but, uh, middle sister, she also wouldn't talk to my parents or our parents for, like, uh, three weeks when she found out the next one was coming. She, like, went and lived with our grandparents for three whole weeks, and then finally was just like, well, I guess there's nothing I can do about this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And, like, we were talking a little bit about this whenever we walked out of the theater but it seems like there's a, a breadth of of experiences when it comes to how you react to getting a sibling mm -hmm. like me like whenever i think about it back in because i was maybe three whenever i found out that i was gonna have a little brother like remembering back to that moment it's like i didn't really i was sort of like generally excited but didn't really have much of a feeling about it one way or another uh-huh I didn't really form a relationship with that idea until much later after the brother actually came home. Mm -hmm. And then even then, I don't remember exactly how I processed that. It wasn't, didn't seem like much of a positive or a negative thing in general. Like I just thought like, oh, well, I guess, I guess things are different now. I guess I got a little brother. I guess it's the yeah. way it is now. So that's mm -hmm. neat. Yeah. And I, um, I was there with my mom, uh, when she was in labor with my youngest sister because my dad couldn't get home in enough time. <laughs> mm. um, and I think that was kind of a, kind of a life changing experience because I had never, I had never like had been there for somebody like that before. So that was mm -hmm. really scary. And I feel like if I had another sibling, I'd just be like, okay, no, you can find somebody else to go with you. Cause I don't, I don't want to be there. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> yeah. It was scary. It was very scary. I believe it. Mm -hmm. So I guess going back to the fantastical elements of the film for just a little bit, they are definitely, we've sort of talked about this a little bit already, but they're definitely fantastical in a different way than Hosoda typically uses his movies. Mm -hmm. Because like in The Boy and the Beast, for example, like the whole beast world is implied to be some sort of like other realm that you can travel to. 
Uh-huh. And in wolf children, there's like this implication that there used to be this race of like werewolf people and like they've all died out and now and now the kids are like half werewolf, half human sort of thing. So he roots a lot more of his fantasticalism in sort of being part of the world that he's created. Mm-hmm. But in in this movie, it's a lot more it's a lot more metaphorical, I think. Mm-hmm. Because, like, like in The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, like, she encounters that weird device that gives her the supernatural ability to, like, fly back in time or something. Yes. In this, like, Kuhn just sort of experiences visions of uh, past family members and experiences situations where these magical things just start happening. Mm-hmm. So it really does beg the question for the audience. It's just like, okay, so is this really happening or is this just a, a manifestation of his anxieties or is it some weird meld of both? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think early on, if you get over that hurdle of like, these things are not necessarily really happening and you sort of look at each of the visions as sort of like, metaphors it Mm -hmm. helps the movie be more understandable in the actual messages it's trying to say would you would you agree or disagree no i would agree with you and we kind of like had this discussion a little bit earlier and then the day that we saw it but um i think i think it is kind of like all subconscious um and it's not so much that it's really happening to him because i think when it clicked for me was the scene where um, he was learning to ride his bike, and then those little boys came up to him, and it was so kind. They were just like, we'll help you learn. Come on. I wasn't even expecting that. I was like, well, they're going to bully him, aren't they? But, um, and then he has Yeah, that, that... scared me, too. I, re- I... <laughs> I was really hoping that that would not happen. I'm so glad that he didn't get bullied by those older kids. I know. And then he, um... He had the vision of, like, his great-grandpa teaching him to ride the horse and then the motorcycle, but when they go on the stable, um, his great-grandpa's like, hey, anybody else here? And then you see these, like, I guess stable hands um, Mm -hmm. pop out, and they're like, yeah, we are, but they look like a couple of them, it's like two or three of them maybe, they look like the boys that he had interacted with earlier Mm -hmm. Um, and then that's when it kind of was like, oh, oh, I see what they're doing, and then I think before then... Um, no, it was after then is when he saw the picture of his great grandpa and was like, right, that's right. my dad. <laughs> and I think, I think the same thing happened when he saw the picture of his mom when she was young. It was after that he had the whole scenario of meeting his mother when she was just a child. Right, right. So I think it's sort of this, it, at the base level of this movie, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit confusing to me to try and figure out exactly who this movie is for. Because I think it's a little bit too intense and a little bit too difficult for this to be a movie for five-year-olds mm-hmm. to sort of be like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show this to my kid who just got a new sibling and maybe he can learn how to be a good brother or something like that. And it's like a little bit removed from adulthood to be like really for adults. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering who this movie is for or maybe this is just a movie that he really wanted to make because like kids are such a big part of his life right now being a dad yeah and maybe that really is it maybe it was just sort of a a movie to sort of like a comfort piece basically yeah a comfort piece in like family relationships but also something to be like here's a good movie to show parents how to relate to how their kids think or something Mm -hmm. 
I think my theory is that Abe held a gun to him and said, make more baby propaganda. And so this movie was made. Yep. Yep. That's it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think you might be maybe underesting kids a little bit. I think if I saw this movie when I was really young, I'd be like, man, that kid's a jerk. Maybe I shouldn't That's hit true. babies with trains. <laughs> That is like true. my sister hit me with a Nintendo 64 controller. <laughs> right. <laughs> that is true. I, I probably am underestimating kids' ability to to grab onto things. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think the real thing watching it, I got from it was while it was a comfort piece for himself, I think it very much was maybe meant for other parents or other, you know, adults maybe reaching that age of becoming parents Mm -hmm. um especially with the scene of where he meets his mother and she's a huge brat and like Mm -hmm. she's doing things that she yells at him all the time for doing yes and it's kind of hypocritical because like you know you did that when you were a child i mean i'm sure all of our parents were brats no matter how like super strict or angry or whatever they are now they were brats and getting in trouble constantly i'm sure when they were children too right Um, right and it's just it's like, sort of like a weird reverse empathy thing going on here because it's mm-hmm. not like it's not like they did a story where like a parent becomes a five year old again. It's right. It's the five year old learning what the parents were like. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of took it as like you know, remember you were there once too. Maybe mm-hmm. screaming at your child isn't the best answer um, because remember how that made you feel. And things like that. I don't know. That's right. what I got. <laughs> right. I think that I think that there's a lot of that in that movie for sure. And then, and then for kids, it may help them relate to their parents a little bit more mm-hmm. to understand that, like, yeah, your mom and dad, they they're your mom and dad now, but they used to be kids when they were younger. Believe it so. or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No matter um, how how ancient your your parents may be, they were they used to be kids once upon mm-hmm. a time. That and like. Um... That it's okay to feel upset in this situation, I think, too. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, even though his parents were kind of at times like, don't do that, it's fine. But, um, you know, it's, I I understand why that is hurtful to children, even though I never personally felt that way. Um, Mm -hmm. I I can understand. It's like, you know, my parents don't care about me anymore now that they've got this new little thing. And it's like, not even that. It's just a baby takes a lot of work that you necessarily don't now that you're five years old and can eat and mostly use the bathroom by yourself and entertain yourself and things like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes into another thing that we could talk about. What did you think of the parents in the movie? I think they were doing their best. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, There were certain times where I would get kind of like angry at the mom because like, you know, yelling at your kids is not the problem solver. Um, right. And the dad, like, bless him, he was doing everything he could. And it's like, I, I understand, like, people getting absorbed in their work. But also, like, when you have kids, you kind of have to, like, not do that so much. You know what I mean? And this is me, like, speaking from a place of not actually having children, but helping raise two children. Um, it's just, you know, they, they are just as much deserving of your time as your work is no matter how much you have to do and oh but um at the end of the day like they they grew like there was that Mm -hmm. scene where um you know they were packing up to go on their little vacation and uh 
the dad was talking about like wanting to be more involved and um like they they had just seemed to grow as parents and i mean you know that's that's how it should be and one one thing that the mom kept mentioning is how like aloof the dad was during whenever coon was a little whenever he was first born mm-hmm. and i'm like you've said that like three times now why couldn't the movie just show us that yeah because the way that the dad was portrayed in in the time period of the movie like he i thought he had it a little bit too together honestly like he he was very like a little klutzy but he was also mm-hmm. pretty functional i thought well too like, i think he was trying to overcompensate for like not being there originally for their first child yes um and that's why he was always like, ha, 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 I'm cleaning the kitchen, I'm cooking, I'm mingling with the housewives because I want them to know I'm such a good, great dad. And I love that the mom called him out on that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's like, you need to just do it instead of pretending to do it. And I was like, yes. Yeah, but that that didn't really click with me so much because I never really felt like the dad was doing that. Like, it, it wasn't clear to me that he was trying to, like, be... Like, he was trying to act like a better dad than he actually was. Mm-hmm. It just seemed to me like he was doing, like, he was doing the dad stuff and generally succeeding at it, but mm-hmm. just being a little bit klutzy and a little bit tired. Like, mm-hmm. I think it would have added a little bit more to his, to his, to his depth if we, if we saw him more, like, legitimately struggle with dealing with his kids, I guess. Well, he kind of did, like, with uh, every time he held Mirai, how she would always cry, and he's like, oh, I can't do this, I, like, that kind of stuff, so. That's, it, that's true. Mm-hmm. But he, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess he just had a funny way of showing it, because he just sort of got overwhelmed in a comedic way, whereas, mm-hmm. like, the mom, whenever she got overwhelmed, she just got really angry. Yeah. And, I mean, that, that makes sense, because obviously people process things in different ways, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think it would have just been a nice touch of characterization to either see, like, some flashback scenes of him being very uninvolved back whenever Kuhn was a baby, mm-hmm. or to see just, a, like, a little bit more, like, raw frustration from the dad, rather than him just sort of being a little yeah. bit on the goofy side. Goofy side, yeah. Yeah. Dad's, uh need to be involved they did half the work so <laughs> right right and and it's not i mean i'm i'm being a little bit too harsh on him i mean he's generally the mom and the dad in this movie are very good they're very good parents um that make sort of like everyday standard mistakes mm-hmm. um but yeah I, I just think it would have added a little bit more to his character because i i generally really liked really liked the dad he was just a little bit too um hey, kids, I'm a dad sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, but um, I I did like the uh, stay-at-home dad dynamic because oh, um, yeah. I think it's changing in Japan, but that's not a very common thing at all. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, like, I feel like in America it's a little bit more common. Definitely. Um, and it's so funny because, you know, people will rag on men uh, for that all the time. But I'm like, you know, if somebody's, like... If, if you're in a, if you are in such a position if you are lucky enough to be in such a position where one of the parents can do that mm-hmm. uh, to be with their kids so you're not uh, and like nothing nothing wrong you know if you can't do that or you know you have to get a nanny or take your child to daycare but um I feel like you know 
it's it's nice to be able to do that because you you know you're there for all these moments and um, you're able to spend time with your child and things like that and you know get to see and experience things you might not if you know they're with a caretaker or something like that of course of course all right so i guess in wrapping up here uh, there's probably a lot more we could talk about we're just gonna go ahead and wrap it up just to keep this episode pretty short so I guess, I guess for you, Tori, what was what was your biggest takeaway from the movie in terms of like both, like, the movie as a film and like sort of what lessons you thought it was trying to ascribe? Mm-hmm. Um, I think empathy is a big thing. Um, and understanding, um, and trying to, like, rationalize instead of giving in to so much, like, black and white thinking, like, just because your parents have another kid doesn't mean they love you any less, (laughs) Mm -hmm. or, um, trying to just understand instead of having such visceral reactions before you know everything, Mm -hmm. um, and it really speaks to a lot of, like, how complicated familial dynamics can be. Mm-hmm. Um, especially if you're a child and you don't quite have the knowledge or the vocabulary of someone who might be, you know, double your age, um, or triple your age. Cause he's only like five. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think mainly the lesson can be like that kids sometimes have it tough. Even if you under if, even if you understand and can rationalize sort of, and even if you can understand a way and a ration and rationalize away sort of the problems that kids might go through Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that those kids aren't having those problems like sometimes they just need to have a moment where they can learn and understand what's going on around them and maybe you shouldn't expect them to get it right away Mm -hmm. and just sort of some of the cosmic things too about being like well you know there's thing like whether or not you have a, a a good relationship or a bad relationship with your family members like there are things that they can teach you Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not necessarily directly, but there are things that you can look back on and be like, okay, so my, f- my family member made a mistake here that impacted their life in this way, or they did something right that impacted their life in this way, and I can learn from that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something that this movie shows, like, in specifically within the context of like generational family members but i mean obviously that's true for people that are not your family um and i guess just more in a general sense of just like learning from previous generations and things Mm -hmm. like that because they also go into that as well yeah and i i like that because that's something that i spend a lot of time thinking about like when i'm lying awake at night and i can't sleep and i'm just like wow like if i hadn't have done xyz i might not have been doing abc or something like that you know what i mean and that's just mm-hmm. always that keeps me awake more than it should <laughs> mm-hmm. well i mean it's interesting because you really never know how those things work out like right like they they show that whole scene where coon's great-grandfather was like in world war ii and he got injured and his leg was like basically wrecked for the rest of his life but mm-hmm. you know he went back and got a job with a motorcycle company and he met his great-grandmother and they had that cute little race that they did i know and, that was so cute <laughs> and like you never know maybe it, maybe if he hadn't got that injury it wouldn't have worked out that way so who knows right yeah so everything happens for a reason more than likely <laughs> it does make sure you put the dolls away so that your little sister can marry on time yeah 
Anyway, I think that's now. I think now's a good time to sort of talk about uh, going into our Twitter questions. But before yeah. that, um, as we always do, Tori, what yeah. was your what what is the most iconic moment in this movie for you? Oh boy, um, I would have to say. I like the scene a lot where, and this probably might not stick out to people at all, but um, I like the scene a lot where uh, Kuhn gets to kind of see himself in the future. Oh, yeah. And Marie, and Marie, Marai is like, um, that boy, pretty cool, right? (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was cute. Um, But I know you didn't ask me for two, but I also really like the scene where the the great-grandma and the great-grandpa raced against each other. That was really cute, too. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. That was cool. Mm -hmm. What about you? I thought it was really funny whenever Kuhn is trying to get um, Mirai to play with him, and he basically fills her crib up with the toys. (laughs) Yes. Like, the little (laughs) trains are just surrounding her. Uh Uh-huh. And, like, the mom freaks out, and she's like, don't do that. <laughs> Even though he wasn't really, you know, like, harming her, he was just a little too in her personal space. Yeah, <laughs> she was like, you can't play with her like that yet, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but but one of the, the sequence that definitely stands out to me the most is whenever he gets lost in the train station. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, that is a very creepy, very well-executed... Ec- well um, feeling of uh of dread that they really uh put forward in that whole sequence right and it was so unexpected too i was just like um how did we get here <laughs> yeah definitely it felt like a completely different movie for a while mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it was very strange but i really really enjoyed that yes and overall I, th- I think i enjoyed this movie um i think one of the twitter questions is uh oh yeah it's it's the first twitter question and I think we've got it multiple times. But anyway, let's just go into those. So in his typical fashion, our buddy Basil over at It's Basil Time on Twitter, he asks multiple questions, as he does, a question marathon. Um, so how does this movie compare to Hosoda's previous films? Mm. Well, All right, the- so I guess, I guess oh. we should just go ahead and rank them now. <laughs> okay, well, um, let's see. So The Boy and the Beast is the only one that I have not seen because I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So that one's going to be in last place for me because I just don't know where that ranks. Just just by default. Yeah. Um, so number one for me, uh, this is really hard because honestly in my heart of hearts these movies are really tied. But um, number one for me would have to be The Girl Who Leapt Through Time um, mm-hmm. because that was the first one I ever saw and it's just everything I kind of want about a romance story, I guess. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um so that's number one. Then I would say Wolf Children. Um, but really, they're tied for me. Um, you then have I would to decide. We have okay, to okay. rank them. You have to okay. decide. All right. Oh. Um, Girl Who Loved Their Time. Okay. Wolf, Wolf Children. Um, I would say Mirai. And then Summer Wars. And then Boy and the Beast by default because I haven't seen it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's my turn. Mm-hmm. So I rewatched Wolf Children earlier this year and fell in love with it more than I ever had because I watched it the first time and thought, oh, this movie is all right. And then I watched it again. I'm just like, I love this movie. It's really good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, 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 th- I think it still has some problems, mainly in pacing, but um, 
that one's my still my number one. Followed closely by The Girl Who Left Through Time. And after that would be... Mm, I haven't seen it in a while. But I think Summer Wars would be third with Mirai right after it and The Boy and the Beast at the bottom. Okay. I think that would be my, my final my final ranking. That feels right. <laughs> so ours is very similar, except, well... The first two. The first two. Well, you put Mirai above Summer Wars, right? Uh, Actually, yeah, I did. Okay, so yeah, our, our lists are pretty different, so... Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's because, like, somebody is going to crucify me for this, but I feel like if I wanted to watch Summer Wars, I would just go watch the Digimon movie, <laughs> because I was, mm-hmm. like, so into Digimon as a kid. Yeah, that, that criticism never landed on me because I never saw that movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I've always looked at Summer Wars as its own thing. Yeah, no, um, I watched I watched the Digimon movie so much as a child. Okay, well, that definitely makes sense because he worked on that movie too. Yes. Um, but yeah, I, I get I get people's uh, comparisons of that to Summer Wars. Very much so, but it's, it's something that falls on deaf ears for me because I never saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I need. I really need to revisit Summer Wars because there are some elements of it that I really enjoy, and there are some elements of it that I remember not liking very much. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really deserves a rewatch for me, and it turns ten years old in twenty nineteen. So we'll probably be doing a podcast on it. So look out mm-hmm. for that. Um, okay. So Basil also asks: Are there any elements that you think this film carries over from his previous ones? Yes, and we kind of already <laughs> talked about it. I think as soon as that little mini interview was over, I just looked at you and I was like, well, it had the trifecta, furries, time travel, and white backgrounds with really colorful lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a little uh, visual nod to Summer Wars that I thought was uh, not too on the nose, but enough mm-hmm. that people who have seen Summer, Summer Wars, Wars will be yeah. like, oh, that looks familiar. Mm-hmm. And it. It worked. It worked for that scene too. Yeah, um, so it was, it was fine. executed very well. And uh, yeah, uh, most definitely. Um, I feel like just about everything he does is about family in some way. And then mm-hmm. there's always some sort of furry creature. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean it's it's similar similar enough to everything he's done before, but it still stands out. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I think it's more it's more impressionistic and more emotion based rather than narrative based. Yes. Than some of his other things. Because it deals so heavily in like extended metaphor. Mm-hmm. Like I there's not really been anything else that he's really done that with. Like maybe maybe you could say that the girl who leapt through time is like a long metaphor for accepting that you don't have control of your life. Mm-hmm. Um but it's still implied to be like, no, she actually does have time travel powers and stuff like that. Yeah. But anyway, that's beside the point. Um, he also asks, have you downloaded the free line stickers yet? Do you use line? You should. Please add me online. Um, uh, I didn't know. I didn't even know <laughs> there were line stickers. Yeah, I didn't know either. Uh, yeah. So I haven't downloaded them, uh-uh. but I should. And I yeah. will definitely add you online, Basil. Uh-huh. I only use line to play mobile games. <laughs> Me too. Sum Sum is the best game ever. Yeah. So Annie Bros Creative asks, did you feel like this movie made you want to have kids or not have kids? Um, okay, so I, 
Makia gave me baby fever, and then this movie grounded me back into reality. <laughs> <laughs> I think that answers the question pretty well. <laughs> I think you answered it better than I ever could have. <laughs> I, um... I mean, just to elaborate on it, like, if I ever get to that point in my life, sure, but I'm also, I think I've mentioned before, probably when we were talking about Machia, I am terrified of childbirth and just having Mm -hmm. children, Um, not to mention, like, I'm afraid that, like, you know, I'm not going to be a good parent or, like, all of my issues are going to, like, transfer into them, and it's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do that to somebody, but um, I think it just... I think it, it just reminds you of, like, you know, this is a good thing for some people. You just have to remember it's a lot of work, and it's not, there's no perfect way to do it, and it's never going to be a perfect way, and um, you just kind of have to do the best you can do while trying your best. <laughs> this is this is totally going to date this podcast, but I don't know if I feel comfortable bringing a child into the world into a world where you can't eat romaine lettuce. <laughs> or Thai pots. <laughs> <laughs> that dates it even worse. Mm. You know, the romaine <laughs> thing, the romaine thing has been so bad because I'm never... Once somebody tells me I can't do something, that's when my little lizard brain is like, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I've mm. never wanted to eat romaine lettuce so bad as I have yeah. right now. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so our good buddy Bill, co-host on this podcast, asks... Hosoda's films, compared to other anime directors, seem to polarize people. Either you love his films or strongly dislike them. Why do you think that that is? I think that that sort of comes with him getting a lot of notoriety very quickly for, like, one thing. Mm-hmm. Because he was relatively in the background of things until The Girl Who Leapt Through Time came out. And then The Girl Who Leapt Through Time was, like almost universally praised back in the day like everybody seemed to like it to really uh, really really love that movie and it won a lot of awards etc etc and i think when there are creators that have a lot of um, stake put in them very early on it tends to polarize people either to the positive or the negative like they start they start attaching expectations to him and things like that and and i think some people if they just haven't if they if if his movies haven't really clicked with them at all so far they sort of look at a, at a at a future hosoda project with like with being like oh here comes this guy again making another movie i'm not gonna like and i'm like well i mean you don't know until you see it you know mm-hmm. um so i i don't know i i think i think his he doesn't have any more unique polarization than any other creator would have especially someone that gets praised a lot Mm -hmm. because there's always going to be people that look at a creator that is popular and be like they're not that great or something and i'm I'm not i'm not saying that to to say that um hosoda is somehow above reproach i mean his movies are not they're not my favorite honestly i think he's made some really good movies but they're not my favorites but uh, I think I think that that's where it's coming from. I don't think it's really anything unique to Hosoda in general. Mm-hmm. And I think, at least maybe lately, since the reception to The Boy and the Beast wasn't so high, then maybe that sort of harsh critique is a little bit more raw, I suppose. I was thinking about it when that question popped up, and I thought maybe it's just because he... <sighs> He kind of makes what he wants to. I think he kind of just makes what he wants to watch. 
versus mm-hmm. like what he knows is immediately going to be like, oh, this is the best thing ever. But then I'm kind of just like, well, you know, other creators do that too. And everything I mean, may... I would, I would much rather have a creator make a movie that they want to see rather than something that they think is going to be popular because then that's how you get Darling in the Franks. Absolutely. And I, I think anybody who makes things should do it because it's what they want to see and not just like, oh, if I, you know, draw this fan art, I'm going to get 30,000 retweets on Twitter. Um, but then it's like, I was thinking about that and I was like, well, there's other creators out there that, you know, operate under that, but it seems like everything they release is always like, yeah, this is good. This is great. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of that and a little bit of what you said too, at the same time. Probably. It's probably many things. Mm-hmm. Bill also asks, were you surprised that G-Kids released this movie since Funimation has released every Hosoda movie up to this point? I mean, that's kind of just a business thing that I don't really have much of a say or, like, input on or perspective on, really. It was it was probably just the luck of the bid at that point, like, whoever got to the licensor quick enough and whoever had enough money to put up for the project probably was the one that got it, and mm-hmm. this time it was G-Kids. I'm sure Funimation bid for it, but I guess they just didn't get it. I thought G-Kids released Boy and the Beast. Nope, that was Funimation. Okay. Um, see, that shows how much I know, because I had no idea it was Funimation until just right now. <laughs> yep, they uh, they just released the uh, Mamoru Hosoda Blu- Blu-ray box set collection that has uh, the, four, the four other movies. Oh. Um, but uh, G-Kids has, um, has Mirai. I so think I guess it- it's a little... It's a little unfortunate for consistency's mm-hmm. sake on your shelf. Yeah. But, but like, generally, I, I like G-Kids a little bit more than Funimation because G-Kids, not to be mean to Funimation, but G-Kids has a bit of higher standards in general. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I think maybe the reason I didn't know that was because until now, I had never seen a Hosoda movie in the theaters. Oh. So, um, and that's not normally something I pay attention to, but, uh, yeah, you're right <laughs> about the standards thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, Funimation, especially lately, seems to just, like, license everything and put it all out, no matter what it is. Which is really a bad move, because there's just some things that don't deserve the light of day. Yeah, and it, it sort of reminds me about how certain companies were in the early 2000s, like ADV and Genion and stuff like that, where they mm-hmm. would just license everything and put everything out and that's sort of what led to the bubble bursting and i really don't want to see that happen even though it's inevitably going to happen at some point Mm -hmm. and i i feel like there's better things that money can go towards Um, maybe but i I don't really want to get in on that because my (laughs) our our perspectives are so there's so much we don't know that's true license break here please <laughs> no, it, that that is firmly in the in the claws of Saban, <laughs> and I'm very sorry, Tori. Oh, time to assassinate. As long as Saban lives, Glitter Force will continue to be mm. the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so Edwin asks a question that I can't speak to: sub or dub? And I guess I will use this opportunity to just say that I thought the dub was really good. Yeah. Um, we saw it dubbed, obviously, um, but when I was looking at our notes and I was seeing the Japanese cast, I was like, oh man, I wish we had just waited an hour, because there's some really good names here. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I've noticed, um, with movies, anime movies, especially nowadays, the dubs have gotten 
uh, pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And um, I like that they used an actual child in both cases to voice an actual child because um, mm-hmm. that always makes me happy. Uh, you, you can usually tell when it's an adult trying to be a child, and I think mm-hmm. that can come across really awkwardly sometimes and, um, you know, give children a chance to work, I guess. <laughs> they were even more audacious in the English dub with that because the, um, the, the girl who voiced Kuhn in, in uh, Japanese is not a child. She's like, she's, she's like 14. Oh, okay. It said little sister, so I just assumed that she was a child, but never mind. But I mean, right. four, 14's not super old. Most kids still sound pretty young at 14 because they haven't like hit, quite hit puberty yet unless they're an early bloomer. Anyway, they got an eight-year-old to play him <laughs> in the English version, which I think if they were going to go with the direction of actually casting a boy rather than a girl, mm-hmm. it was smart to lean younger. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that's pretty cool. But um, the dub was actually done by NYAV Post, which is Michael Sinternicholas and Stephanie Shea's dubbing studio. Mm-hmm. And they've basically dubbed everything that G-Kids has put out. And they also dubbed uh, Your Name and A Silent Voice and all that stuff. Um, and they have really set the new standard for, uh, for anime dubs, I think. Yeah, they're, I think they they're are, doing a lot. <laughs> yeah, they're doing a lot, and everything is, it's really good stuff. Like, they are setting the bar super high. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> everyone asks, actually, another really good question. Why is the house so horribly designed for children, even though the dad is an architect? <laughs> <laughs> Um, that is a really good question i think he probably just well because you see that early on where she was talking about how like he was very um aloof during the first kid so maybe he was still thinking in the mind of like cool hip innovative architect rather than dad who needs to build a house that's childproof sort of deal yeah modern architecture is just a nightmare (laughs) um but that that house reminded me a lot of like those fancy wild houses you'll see in like horror movies (laughs) um Mm -hmm. where there's like all the windows and it's just very weirdly laid out and Mm -hmm. um yeah well see to me i didn't really see it as as a really much of a, i didn't really see it as a horrible design personally i thought it no. was kind of neat so like you have the ability for your kid to have the playroom and to be able to play outside like right next to each other safely and he doesn't <laughs> safely and you can watch him and he doesn't even have to leave the house to play outside mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of a a pretty amazing thing it's just like you can play outside inside <laughs> The future is now. <laughs> the future is now. <laughs> All right, Tori, well, I think that wraps us up for this episode. Thank you for being on. Of course. Always glad to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again. And uh, where can people talk to you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me screaming into the void at Worst Waifu. And you can find me um, doing things on Twitter <laughs> over at Bebop Shock. That's Bebop is in Cowboy Bebop and Shock is in Bioshock. And uh, thank you guys for listening to our pretty short episode on Mirai. Um, what did you think of the movie? Uh, how does it rank in your uh, list of Hosoda films? What do you think about Mamoru Hosoda as a creator in general? Let us know over on Twitter. We would love to hear what you have to say. 
And you can find Third Impact Anime in general over on Twitter at TI underscore anime. And please pop over to Facebook and join our Facebook community. It's a really fun little little place that we tried to curate for uh, for fans of, of uh, anime and video games. Just chill and talk to each other and not get bombarded by memes every 15 seconds. Because that is what Facebook anime communities are notoriously about and we are not about that so if you want something different come and join us we would really love to have you all right well thank you again for listening and we will see you in the next one bye